iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Game World Cup podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. France 2019 is in full swing, a tournament averaging three goals a game at the time of recording. And here to analyse the best of the drama and decisions, we're joined by former England star Claire Rafferty. Down the line from France, from the Sunday Times, we also have Rebecca Myers, plus women's football reporter for The Times, it's Molly Hudson. Later on, we'll be looking at how the big hitters have fared over the first weekend of the tournament. But we start with England, who survived a scare from Scotland to take all three points in their first match in Group D, winning 2-1 in Nice. Claire Emsley's goal with 11 minutes to go, ensuring a nervy final few minutes for Phil Neville's players. This is the first ever Women's World Cup with VAR, and it was a VAR decision that saw the Lionesses take the lead. Frank Kirby's cross hitting the arm of Nicola Doherty after 12 minutes. Claire, you've been in that position hundreds of times, blocking a cross coming in. How would you have felt conceding a penalty like that? Yeah, as a defender, um, I would have been very frustrated to, to um, give the opposition the advantage in that manner. It is, you know, if it's a matter of fact, I'm following rules, and yes, you have to, you know, so to speak, hold your hands up and uh, say, fair enough. But I, I think it sounds silly, but, you know, you're going to have to start training in different ways. Um, you know, when you defend, you, you do throw your arms around, mainly for balance, most of all, um, but, you know, you know, we're going to have to get to a, to a situation where we are defending with, with your hands behind your back and trying to eliminate any kind of threat. Well, that's the thing, Rebecca. At the end of the day, as Claire's saying, you're using your arms for agility, you're using it for lift. It does seem as though this, this new handball rule is going to cause a lot of controversy. It definitely does. But, um, I mean, I think the, the key thing is, is that it's applied kind of across the board. Um, and I think the reaction last night, even from one of the Glasgow City coaches who was who was doing some of the BBC coverage, he said, you know, obviously he's not happy with it in terms of how it, you know, influenced the game, but he said it's it's the right, it's technically the correct decision now. We've, we've got to adjust to um, these new rules. And, and like Claire said, they will impact the game probably, you know, all the way through to from training to the match on the pitch. It, it is going to change how players move with their bodies. New rules introduced on the 1st of June indicate a penalty will be given if the arm has made the body unnaturally bigger. Molly, you were there. Is that what you saw? Is that what happened? As soon as Frank Kirby appealed for it, I think we all felt that it would be given purely because it has been quite clear whether or not you agree with these new rules or not. If your arm is in an unnatural position, nine times out of ten, it's going to be given. So I think, in a way, with all the controversy and confusion that sometimes follows VAR, it was actually handled really, really well in the stadium. Um, the referee was encouraged to take another look at it. She did, went over to the screen, awarded it. And then 
really, really helpfully for us and for everyone else in the ground. It then shows the footage that the referee had seen on the big screen after it had been awarded. And you could clearly see that, yes, Nicola Doherty's arm was out. Now, the further argument is whether or not you think that rule is actually correct and whether when you're in that position as a defender, you're probably not thinking about where your arm is going. You're thinking about trying to protect the ball and get your body in the right position to do that. But I think it was the right decision following the laws of the game. And I also think VAR probably did a pretty good job in communicating that with the fans, which is something that it has struggled with in the past. It was Nikita Paris then that, that uh, scored that penalty, tucked it away very confidently, it has to be said. And it was overall a, a very confident display from her, Molly. Yeah, it was. I think uh, we spoke to her on Friday and she was on the players put up to, to speak to the press. And one of the questions that was asked to her was, do you feel any pressure? Because, yes, she's achieved great things at club level and, and she has played for England before, but with this being her first World Cup, you know, would it affect her? And she said, no. And I think that really came across last night, actually, that, yes, maybe the attendance wasn't amazing, but it was, it was a big stage and it was a big atmosphere. And, yes, there was pressure there. And I think she really delivered from, from the first minute, actually. And I think that made a massive impact on the game. And the fact that, you know, as we have discussed, the AR, the way that it can really put extra pressure on that penalty taker because they sort of stood there waiting for the decision. She dealt with that so well. And I think I'm so happy for her because... It has been such a busy few weeks with her, especially with her moving to Leon and achieving that dream. So I think she's, she's genuinely going to be one of the biggest stars at this tournament, I think. Well, Phil Neville selected Ellen White ahead of Jodie Taylor, who was top scorer at Euro 2017. And it was White who scored the second before the break. She also had a goal disallowed. She was a constant threat, Claire. Yeah, I mean, that's what you get from Ellen. Um, not just a threat in the box, but her work rate is just, you know, sublime. She she does not stop running. Um, and I think that's probably what's given her um, the nod over, over Jodie Taylor. Ellen has scored big goals in, in big games um, in previous World Cups, so she has that track record. Um, I think everyone, you know, didn't know which way he was going to go, especially with Jodie doing so well in the last tournament. But for Jodie, I think her lead-up to this tournament hasn't been... Um, as positive as it potentially could have been and maybe that's down to her playing in different leagues um, I know obviously in WSL they're coming to the end of the season and them kind of physical attributes and are, are the players tired you know who's fresh who's coming on the back of injury I think that will decide uh, Phil's squad going forward but he has said he will rotate so I wouldn't be surprised to actually see Jody introduced um, but yeah she was a, a constant threat always the danger always running in behind Offside a few too many times for, for my liking, but um, but nonetheless, a um, very dangerous player. Just as a side issue with regards to what Phil Neville was wearing, he made a decision to, to wear a waistcoat a la Gara Southgate last summer uh, due to popular demand from his players. Is that right, Rebecca? <laughs> yes, uh, it was indeed. Yeah, I've always kind of been keeping an eye out for what I never was wearing. He's been you know, on and off toying with a waistcoat for the past few friendlies. Um, but he did appear in a tracksuit a couple of matches ago, so I thought, you know, maybe he's a bit too conscious of the Southgate comparisons. But then at the press conference afterwards, I said to him, I said, Phil, I've heard it's, I've heard it's the players who have kind of persuaded you to put that on. And he said, yeah, they they love it, and um, joked that Steph had sort of packed it for him because she wanted him to wear it. So um, yeah, clearly a clearly a big hitter, and maybe a talisman of good luck. We will obviously wait and see for that one. Yeah, absolutely. But he wasn't happy with the performance in the second half, in particular for for England, Rebecca. He used the word stand. Standards a lot. 
yeah, he wasn't he wasn't particularly happy at all, and I think that's a good thing. It was a great performance. It was a great first win, but it didn't you know it didn't look like a team who was going to win the World Cup in the second half by any stretch. Um, he spoke quite a lot last night about um, he just thought they sort of fell asleep for twenty minutes. I think they you know they went away at half time. They thought were two 0 up against a team who you know on paper we are much better than, and, and perhaps just took their eye quite literally off the ball a bit. Um, and I think just just they eased off that pressure and, and that's when, you know, mistakes happen and that's when balls come through. Um, but I think it's important for him to not come away from the first match, even though it's a win, saying, yes, I think we smashed this. We're definitely in line to kind of, you know, progress all the way. He needs to kind of, you know, keep that atmosphere among the team of, of striving, you know, much, much harder. There are going to be much, much more difficult teams to come up against soon. You know, Japan certainly will be a very difficult game. Um, and I think it's important that he sticks to, to that kind of line that he was expecting more and, and will be expecting more going forward. And what about Shelley Kirkclair? What will she take away from that defeat for Scotland? Because they did cause England problems. Yeah. I mean, uh, for me, I, I wouldn't be too disheartened. Um, I think there's a lot of anticipation and emotion going into that game. Um, and, and I think once, you know, they, they kind of overcame that hurdle and, and they know they, they, they can be, you know, there and thereabouts, uh, you know, because for parts of the game, they did test England, uh, whether that's down to England kind of letting their uh, foot off the pedal or not, they equally did test them. But I do think they need to be getting their star players on the ball a little bit more. Kim Little, for me, was, was too ineffective um, and Aaron Cuthbert was isolated up top, so they need to now have a little bit more freedom, be a little bit more brave. And um, I, I think getting that first game out of the way and getting all the nerves out of the way will really help. And the leash will be off for them moving forward. Well, Scotland came into that game in Nice uh, with no injury issues. Obviously, England had uh, Tony Duggan out, uh, also Demi Stokes. Um, Molly, what do you know about them potentially being involved for the Argentina game? On Saturday in the match, they minus one presser. He was confident that both of them would would be ready to start the game and we did reveal they both had pre-match fitness tests and obviously they failed those because not only were they not in the starting level but they also wasn't in the FIFA registered squad either. This Argentina game gives Phil the chance to rotate and it also gives him the chance to not be forced into playing players if they aren't fit. You know, it's Argentina and any any members of our squad in a team should be able to beat them and then hopefully that Tony and Demi will be fully fit, ready for that Japan game, and then he'll have all of his options available to him. And then obviously the Millie Bright injury from yesterday as well, that, that potentially is the one that could rule her out of that Argentina game. But again, I think if you're going to get an injury to get it before Argentina is a good time to get it in the scale of the tournament. Yeah, you mentioned the, the Millie Bright injury. She had to go off in, in the second half. Is that in any way unsettling, though, when you look ahead to the Argentina game because of that partnership that she has yeah. in defence? Yeah, I think, you know, rotation's great, but uh, along the back line, I, I, I do think it's beneficial to maintain some consistency. Um, and if Millie Bright um, can't play, I think it, it will create a little bit of, not potential doubt, but maybe a little bit of overthinking uh, among that back line. I think if Demi's fit, she comes in either way. Um, but Millie Bright, I don't, I don't know whether it was concussion or a shoulder. Cause she looked like she fell quite heavily on it. But, you know, no, no Millie quite well, she she doesn't go down easily. So she must be in, in, in some kind of pain. Um, and I don't think he'd be willing to risk her if it is avoidable and if he can rest her. So um, consistency for me would be key in the back line. Um, Midfield and above, I, I think, rotate. I think he, he was, he's very happy to rotate, and he will do. And as Molly said, any team that England put out should be beating Argentina. 
we talked about the legacy when we were building up to this tournament and uh, over six million watched this game on BBC One on Sunday, making it the UK's most watched game of women's football ever. That is a great start, Claire. Yeah, I mean, uh, all the noise and all the build-up and all the talk um, has kind of come to fruition and, and getting that kind of exposure and having that many people interested is exactly what we want and that's what's going to fuel the game on and, and that's what's going to allow for longevity and not just short-term because people are seeing, people have their own opinions and, and people can tell their friends or they can reflect and have, have, have you know, discussions in the pub about it, you know, if they watch it, because that's what we want. We want it to to be all-inclusive and the more people watching it, the more valued opinions are. Mm. To have over six million watching that first game for England and Scotland it, it is fantastic. How is it being received right now in, in France, Molly, the World Cup? Um, I think upon arrival, particularly, I mean, we're, we're, me and myself and Rebecca have both been in Nice and I don't think there has been actually a huge amount of promotion. I mean, there's a, there's a fan zone on the promenade and that's sort of there. There hasn't been a huge amount of anything else. I know um, Claire's been in Paris and there wasn't a huge amount there. And I know that's a common consensus from all of the journalists that have covered it. You know, there's not really too much to say that there's a major tournament going on here. I know, you know, Roland Garros has been going on with the tennis. Um, but I think I've heard that it was also the same with the France men's team. It didn't seem to really pick up until they got to the latter stages. So perhaps it will sort of be welcomed more by the locals and perhaps all of these empty seats that we keep seeing that sort of were suggested might go to local fans. Perhaps they will sort of fill up towards the latter stages when the, the atmosphere and everything really builds. But I think definitely there could have been more done to market it and make it more clear that it was actually happening because even speaking to, you know, the local taxi drivers and everything, they're not always necessarily aware of what game is going on where. And I think that's, that's always a, a sort of litmus test in regards to the marketing if the locals don't really know what's going on to start with. The game is still growing, still gaining new fans. There are still a lot that are questioning the women's game. Rebecca, you wrote this week about Farah Williams, who's not in the squad, and her invitation to Keanu Bruton to watch the game with her in Nice. Can you explain what all that's about? Yeah, so this was it's something that's popped up on Twitter, basically. Farah Williams found a, a, just a guy, young guy, um, ordinary sort of, Joe Blogg football fan um, who tweeted women's football is just not very good and she uh, tweeted back saying you know why don't you fly out with me and watch the game in Nice um, and let's see if we can change your mind basically. Um, it was quite interesting it, it, it's something she was doing in partnership with Coca-Cola who was sort of involved in sponsoring the, the tournament um, and giving away tickets and stuff like that. It did get quite a backlash um, from sort of women's football fans themselves who were saying you know some people can't afford to go out to Nice who genuinely love the game and have followed it for years. Why don't you give the ticket and flight to them? Um, but actually, I, I sort of spoke to her on the phone the next day and she was saying the women's game isn't going to change. It's not going to grow its audience if we just, you know, promote people who already love us. We've got to start tackling this sort of urban myth, as it were, that women's football is not as good as men's. We've got to start confronting head on those people who've just absorbed that belief and probably actually not given the game a shot. So, her answer to that was, you know, we've got to invite them, ask them to come and watch it, tell them to go and, you know, go down to the local pub and watch it, or as in this case, fly out personally with Farrah, Farrah Williams, which is quite a good opportunity. Um, but yeah, so he watched the game. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing that he enjoyed it, actually. I'm hoping to potentially speak to him at some point and find out. But I think it's it's about, yeah, giving people the opportunity to change their minds and not condemning people as 
you know, dinosaurs or whatever, but just saying, sounds like you haven't actually watched world-class football. Here it is, you know, why not, why not give it a try? Yeah, absolutely. And the, at the end of the day, give it a chance is yeah. all we're saying. You could have tuned in though, to BBC One. <laughs> <laughs> could have done. Could have done. I, I guess you're on the uh, side of the people that already are in favour of women's football. I, I see both sides of it. I, I totally understand you do need to be challenging um, them old opinions and trying to give people as much exposure as possible. And and I think what Coca-Cola have done has been quite clever. They've, they've just highlighted that um, and use this as, as a uh, marketing ploy or a kind of stem from their strategy which um, is to encourage more more um, men or more people who don't normally watch the game watch it more so I'm sure he'll go and tell all his friends that he had such a good time and hopefully they will watch it <laughs> As you're listening to me Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at MintMobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Let's talk about the other contenders then and another South American side. Brazil, earlier on Sunday, got their campaign off to a flyer with a 3-0 victory over Jamaica in Group C. Brazil came into this game having lost their last nine games, so it was critical. Glad they got off to a winning start. Yeah, it's, it's interesting for Brazil. You know, as a nation, they're expected to be winning tournaments. Um, but, you know, on the, on the women's side for the last um, few years, they have been in, in somewhat of a decline. Um, I think that's down, you know, their youth coming through hasn't quite lived up to the expectation, you know, of, of the likes of Marta, Famiga, Cristiani. So um, I think it is transitional stage for them. But I think they've, they've quieted a few critics by their emph- emphatic uh, victory over uh, Jamaica but you know that there, there was a, a bit of a questionable defending from Jamaica so um, I think they were the architects of their own mistakes most of the time but um, nonetheless you know you've got the likes of Formiga I can't remember what how many World Cups she's been or major tournaments but it's it's quite a few then that experience is just uh, clearly uh, able to dominate Jamaica and and I, I wouldn't write them off, but I think if they're tested, I'm not too sure about their back line. Mm. Well, you mentioned Christiana there. She's become the oldest player to score a World Cup hat-trick at over 34 years of age. For Miga, she's the oldest player in World Cup history, aged 41. You've also got Marta, who missed that game through injury. She's 33. You sort of touched on the, the, their ages and whether or not that's an issue. Is that a problem, do you think, Rebecca, for Brazil? Are they simply too old? Because they've never won a World Cup, but this is a Brazil side where we you know you always think about the samba football that they play but yet they've not delivered 
I think it's a problem certainly looking forward for the future of the team. I mean, if you think, uh, like you said, Christiana, who scored yesterday is 34, uh, Formiga, um, who I believe is the only player in the world, man or woman, to go to seven World Cups, is 41. Uh, Martin herself is is 33, and and there is a sort of general consensus that she's slowing up a little bit, that she, you know, she certainly doesn't kind of have the pace that she had last World Cup um, and I think you've got to look at that squad and go you know who's the next generation where's the future in that squad if those three you know I highly doubt that you know at least two of them will be there for the next World Cup yeah like Claire said I, I would question whether they actually necessarily have a chance of kind of doing particularly well in the tournament or winning they haven't produced those kind of results before no matter how well they play on these individual occasions or as individual talents they sort of struggle to put it together as a team um, but yeah, that the, you know that setup, that kind of association needs to be looking towards the future and saying, where are the young stars who are supposed to be training now to to be at the World Cup in in four years' time? The two-time world champions Germany edged past China one nil on Saturday. It was the teenager Julia Gwynn that fired in the only goal of the game with 25 minutes to go. But it was a bit of a slog for the Germans, Molly. It was. It's quite difficult for Germany, I think. Perhaps their defence isn't as resolute as it, as it has been in previous tournaments. And I think any Germany team, men or women, coming into a tournament, you expect them to be there or thereabouts. And undoubtedly, this Germany team probably will be when it when we really get to the business end. But I think, yeah, they've, they've definitely struggled. They have, you know, the likes of um, Pop and players that, players that we recognise. But they are also in a transition period. And I think they have lost a lot of their experience. And I think they're certainly rebuilding. And I think it'll be interesting to see how they get on, actually. And whether or not they, particularly in defence, I mean, China aren't the most amazing women's footballing nation, but they they certainly found a way to get at them. And particularly between the two centre-backs, there seems to be a lot of space there to exploit, particularly on the break. So I think that, that will definitely give the rest of the teams in the group sort of, you know, yes, this is Germany, but... There's certainly areas to exploit there. And, you know, they looked as though they could have conceded goals. And in the end, I think they were quite lucky to get the win. Well, China have reached at least the quarterfinals in the last six World Cups. So, Claire, perhaps they're not pushovers, but some yeah, might think you they know, are. I think, you know, they got the basics right. And, and that frustrated Germany. Um, you know, it, it took a long time for, for Germany to break them down. And I think equally, I think China hit the post a couple of times. So they had opportunities to actually take the game. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised to, to see them progress, actually, China. I think if they continue um, to kind of frustrate teams and, and nullify the threats of, of the opposition, I wouldn't be surprised to, to see a team like that go through. And Germany faced Spain on Wednesday. The Spanish playing in just their second World Cup. But Rebecca, can Spain cause Germany problems? You know, if, if China caused problems, there's no reason that, that Spain can't as well. I mean, I was chatting to a couple of the girls at the big press conference um, in St George's Park the England girls who were saying they can't wait to see Jennifer Hermoso play who you know scored earlier against um, South Africa she's an outstanding talent and players like her could really really give uh, Germany a bit of earache I think and, and it's going to be I think a much tighter match than we would have said maybe this time last year if, if we said okay well what will happen if Germany face Spain the Germans are looking a little un- unsteady and, and I think the Spanish could really take advantage of that 
Well, the tournament is just a few days old, but we have already seen a surprising result in Group C, where Italy came from behind to beat Australia. This is Italy's first World Cup for 20 years. Uh, For many, the Matildas have been tipped to go far in the competition this year. They boast an array of attacking talent, but they were far from steady at the back. They do take on Brazil next on Thursday. They've made it difficult for themselves, Molly, but can you see Australia progressing? I think when you've got a player like Sam Kerr in your team, then I think you always have a chance. And as we've just discussed the the um, areas that Brazil may not be as strong in, that is certainly defending. And, you know, Sam Kerr will be looking at that and she'll be looking at her lips, I think, because, you know, she's such an incredible player, probably the best natural striker in the tournament alongside the Netherlands' Miedemar, who we know from the Super League. I think Australia definitely have a chance of course, they made it harder for themselves, but I think maybe almost that defeat lifts a little bit of that pressure because now they know that it's simple. They have to win, and that's it. There's no looking ahead. They just have to take one game at a time, and they have to win that game. And I think with the players they've got, I think I think they can beat Brazil, and I think if they do that, it will then give them that little bit more confidence that probably that very late winner from Italy just sort of took away from them, really. Mm. Well, the tournament, of course, began with the host France, who thrashed South Korea 4-0 on Friday night. Wendy Renard, the tallest player at the World Cup with a brace. And Molly, you picked her out as a player to watch. Well, yes. Um, that made me look like I knew what I was talking about. Um, I think she, you know, we all know her from her club performances at Lyon. And she is one of those players that I think you watch her and she very rarely has a bad game. She's one of those players that, you look at and you just think, wow, she makes it it look so easy. Yes, she's very, very tall, particularly in relation to the women's game. And I think that makes her such a threat in both boxes. I think that's really important because we've seen a lot, particularly for England and several other teams, that set pieces are actually their vulnerability. And I think that proved to be in that opening game that she, she can make an impact in terms of scoring as well. And I think... Not only that, she she has experience and yes, France may not have exactly welcomed this tournament with open arms so far, but there will be pressure on the hosts and we saw that their game was sold out and I think that she has the experience and the know-how and the knowledge to sort of look look at the faces in that dressing room and know that actually they can do this and they can live up to the expectation that so often has sort of overwhelmed them and they've always not quite done it in the big tournaments and I think Wendy Renard is one of those players that has the ability to really drag that French side over the line. And I think if they are to do well in this tournament, a big, big part of that will be her performances. She's six foot two, by the way, in case anyone's asking or wondering how tall she is. Claire, France, the bookies' favourites go all the way. Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, they've got such an array of talent in in every position. They've got a depth in their squad and they've got serial winners in there. Um, I think there's seven from Lyon and, and quite a few from PSG. And, and I, I just think when you, it's a difficult argument because, you know, if you have such a bulk of players from one team, it, is it clicky? But, you know, it seems like the manager has ironed them out and got everyone singing from the same hymn sheet I really I hate that phrase but I think it, it is relevant here and I think everyone needs to be, be speaking the same language and you saw the relief when um, Le Somme scored her goal it was almost like a sigh of relief and, and the the team came together and the way they celebrated um, you can tell that there is a kind of unity there and 
I think is just the beginning for for France. And yes, I think physically they dominated uh, Korea. I think the Norway game will, will prove a little bit more tricky for them. So it is yet yeah, Norway next for them on Wednesday. Norway without Ada Hegerberg, of course, the Ballon d'Or winner. Rebecca, for those that aren't aware, just just tell us once again why the Ballon d'Or winner isn't in the Norway side. She is actually doing some commentary for the French or some sort of punditry for the French TV show, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, but she's not playing. Um, it's to do with basically how she feels the women's football team are treated in Norway and the sort of amount of respect that they're given. Um, I, there's been a lot of interest around the story because we know Norway as the only country in the world that pays their men's and women's teams equally. Um, and I know that there were we sort of understand that there were talks to try and get her back into the team before this World Cup to say, you know, we're, we're making huge progress, look at our equal pay, etc. But she, she chose to take the stand and I think it's very much about the cultural side of it and the way that, you know, the average Norwegian views the women's football team as much as, as within the system. Um, so she, she won't be playing, which is a huge loss because um, clearly she is obviously one of, if not the best player in the world right now. Um, but they made a huge statement you know, this week just gone and, and they beat Nigeria 3-0 without her. So they're certainly not going to, you know, flag behind, I don't think, just because they uh, just because they haven't got Ada. Yeah, as you say, it was a great start for Norway in, in their first game. How do we see France versus Norway going, Claire? I, th- I think, you know, you've, you've got some talent in the Norway squad, uh, likes of uh, Reuton and Hansen. You know, you've seen the goals go in and the ability of, of the newly signed Barcelona and, and Chelsea players coming through. Um, and then, you know, the two centre-backs, Marin and uh, Torres Dottier, that they'll know each other very well. So you'd like to think um, defensively, you know, they'd be on the same page. But I think, you know, it is about nullifying the threats from set pieces because of the height of, of Renard. So I think that will be a game plan of theirs. It is hard to call that game. Um, I think France will have too much for them. And the the European champions, the Netherlands, take on New Zealand on Tuesday afternoon. Molly, you mentioned the Arsenal striker Vivian Miedema, top scorer in the WSL last season. We expect to see her in action. How will the Netherlands be feeling about what they've seen so far from their rivals? I think New Zealand, they'll have seen, I would imagine, they'll have been keeping a close eye on the England-New Zealand friendly that we were all sort of aghast by about how much it really meant to New Zealand because... I spoke to their captain, Ali Riley, um, after the game and they were literally in tears at the end because this is so important to them. This is such a big tournament for them and they they really feel the responsibility to to be part of the, the change in women's football and really inspire the younger generation in New Zealand. And I think, actually, yes, they may not have the individual talent and the, the big, big names of, you know, the, the likes of the Netherlands, but I think they... They, they really have that desire and and togetherness more than anything else to really achieve something. And I think, you know, likely they will sit back and they will defend. And we talk about Miedemar and how amazing she's been in the Super League. And that, that could almost be her own downfall in this tournament because she will be marked a lot. And there will be more than one player on her on a lot of occasions because we've all seen that, you know, give her an inch of space, literally anywhere in that box and around that box and it will be in the back of the net and it's just that simple. But I think the Netherlands, they have a number of talented players. I mean, we've seen van der Sanden impressed in the Champions League and, you know, people like Lika Martins and, you know, if you do try and mark too much any one of those three, the other two are left with all that space and I think 
the Netherlands will have too much for New Zealand. And personally, I'm actually really excited to see to see what they will bring to this tournament because their form has been a little patchy going into it. We, we saw how impressive they were winning the Euros. But I think now it's, it's whether they can get get into this tournament vibe and get into the right headspace and really perform when it matters because we've seen they, they could do that under immense pressure at the Euros. And the holders begin the defence of their title, the USA. They face Thailand on Tuesday night. Alex Morgan, Carly Lloyd, both right up there with the bookies to be top scorer in this tournament. Is that because of the group they're in, Rebecca? Absolutely. I mean, this could end up being a good old-fashioned trouncing. Poor Thailand are 34th in the world. Uh, And Chile, who are also in the group of 39th. So, I mean, these could be some really unpleasant games for those two teams. Ultimately, you know, also they could be strong games and we could see see some real sort of gutsy underdog action. But it's a pretty nice group for the US. They're the only team who could really cause them any kind of problems with Sweden and they're ranked ninth in the world. They're a strong team. But I mean, if America play anything like we know they can play, I mean, they could just sort of walk out there and, and you know, do the job and, and finish very, very well after that group without really having to necessarily um, work too hard, dare I say. But equally, you know, if you get complacent, really bad things can happen. So I, I, I don't think the Americans will be sitting there thinking what I've just said. But, uh, yeah, certainly from an outside perspective, it's not looking like a particularly challenging group for them. OK, that is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, Claire Rafferty, Molly Hudson and Rebecca Myers. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It is just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. We'll be back on Thursday after France and Germany have shown what they're made of once again. Plus, we'll be looking ahead to England versus Argentina. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone.